Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Actually, um, we're in a series we call Why I Believe, and we've been going through each week uh, and about six, seven weeks into the series now. And today was all about why I believe in the supernatural and why I believe the supernatural is real today. But I was throughout this week just feeling led to change that a little bit and take a different focus slightly. And it was more about the, why I believe the Holy Spirit is real in my life today. Why I believe the Holy Spirit. I thought that's more relevant to us today to, to have a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. And, um, and I felt like this is something that we could all really learn about. And, and hopefully after today, another step deeper in our walk with God and in with the Holy Spirit. Just yesterday, I was driving along and my daughter, Amy, she says, Dad, is Lex, a good friend of mine, Lex, is Lex your best friend? And I thought, well, what makes a best friend? What makes a best friend? And, and I've known Lex for about 30 years, probably. And uh, I thought, well, why is he a best friend? And why is she asking me if he's best friend? Have a think to yourself for a moment. Do you have a best friend? What makes a best friend? And just give me a couple of the qualities of what you would say makes up a best friend. Has anyone got any thoughts on that one? Chris, up the back. Loyalty. Yeah, I would definitely say that. In fact, that was one of the reasons I said to Amy, yes, I have a loyalty to Lex. He has a loyalty to me over decades now. And, uh, and so I thought, yes, that's what makes a best friend. What else? Was there some others up the back here? Honesty. Honesty, yes, definitely, 100%. And over here, I think you had one? You like the same things. You like the same thinking. So common thinking, yep, like-mindedness, definitely. Crystal? Someone to confide in is it definitely 100%. Trust, trust. trust. It's, it can't be broken. If it's broken, it takes a time to rebuild. Yes. Acceptance. Acceptance, a sense of connectedness and being accepted for who you are. Not you don't have to change for a best friend. They accept you for who you are. True, Marie. They love you for who you are. That's right. Sounds like God, doesn't it? Yes. They spend time together, so quality time is a best friend. That's definitely all great qualities of what makes up a best friend. And when Amy was asking me that, I could say yes to all of those things that Lex has done. But then I thought, hang on, there's someone who has all of these qualities, and it's the Holy Spirit. And I've walked with the Holy Spirit as my best friend since I was saved. And it's even far greater than what Lex, my, my second best friend, has been to me. And I want to get into that today is how do we have a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Why do I believe it's so important? And how do we have a relationship and apply that in our life today? Does that sound like a good sermon? Let's pray about it together. Heavenly Father, thank you that we could um, meet together today and we could worship all the beautiful worship songs. And Lord, we can join our hearts together with love. And, and you come. And you fill us with your spirit. Your presence is here. Your presence of your spirit is here, Lord. It was David in Psalm 139 who said, where can I flee from your spirit? Where could I flee from your presence? You are here with us. I cannot run away from you. Lord, when I feel like I'm distant from you, your arm is not short. You have reached down. Even when I feel like I'm standing in the miry clay, Lord, you reach down and you pull me out and you put my feet back on solid ground. Holy Spirit, you are our friend. 
You're not just some distant God off in the universe somewhere, but Lord, you've come into our life and you are here. Your presence is here even right now in every empty seat in this auditorium, you are here. And in every seat that's filled, you are here. You're in our hearts and you're around us and you're within us. Help us, Lord, today as we look at your word of what it says about the Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus, amen. And I want to show you today that in the Bible, um, we could do a whole series, we could do a whole year on this topic, amen, on who is the Holy Spirit. There's, so, there's such a huge topic that we could do a whole year of messages. So I'm going to give a Holy Spirit power talk. Is that okay? It's going to be a short, fast power talk on the Spirit. And this is just an introduction really to the Holy Spirit. And I've learned honestly that we cannot do anything worthwhile in this world, anything worthwhile in my life without the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I've learned that and you'll learn that today. Some of us have struggled with the idea of the Holy Spirit. Some of us have struggled because of all sorts of different reasons. In, and maybe you feel scared about the topic of the Holy Spirit because you've been hurt in a church where the, it was sensationalized or maybe there was false doctrines being preached around it and there were expectations placed on you around the Holy Spirit that were not biblical. And so now you've got Holy Spirit issues. And today I want you to remember that you're in a safe place here at Creekside. We have a balanced theology, a balanced view of who the Holy Spirit is. And I'm going to share that with you today of what I believe about that. Who is the Holy Spirit? And we'll have that up there. So let me begin. I want to begin here for new Christians, especially some of you have been baptized, you're brand new in the Christian, some of you have just been going through Alpha and this is all new to you, you're just starting to establish a relationship with God and you think, well, how does this Holy Spirit thing work? And so I think there's so many misunderstandings about the person of the work of the Holy Spirit in the Christian church today. And when it comes to the divisions in the local church, you hear about churches that split and churches that split in different directions, people go off in a huff. It's oftentimes can come back to their views on the Holy Spirit are differing. And it's so, it's so strange because it's disappointing when that, that's a reason that the church splits because the Spirit himself is called a spirit of unity. In Ephesians 4.3, it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. But we humans, we tend to make minors or majors out of minor things, and those disagreements end up dividing us and dividing what God wants to be uh, one through his Spirit. And I think that really grieves God's heart when that happens in the church. Have you, anyone ever seen this happen? Is any, oh, yeah, I think I've seen it happen as well. And so as you've been all drawn here today to be part of this ministry here at Creekside, from all different backgrounds, you're all going to have your own different persuasions and different understandings of who the Spirit of God is and different ways it's outworked. And I think it's important that you hear from my heart today where we stand on a Holy Spirit so we can make every effort to guard and protect the unity which God wants to bring within our church as well. Does that make sense? And that we wouldn't allow any disagreements around the spirit to flare up and cause problems within and disrupting that bond of peace which God wants to have here at Creekside. And I know we all have those different beliefs and that's okay. But we need to work out today how is the spirit of God working and how should we respond to him and how those gifts of the spirit should be used and deployed. And I hear people who think that they've got it all figured out. And I think that sometimes when we think we've got it all figured out, I think, well, I highly doubt you've got it all figured out. Because if you've got it all figured out, you've got God figured out, right? I don't have God figured out fully, but we do have some things that we know about God today that we can learn. 
It doesn't really matter what you think and what I think and what's true or what's not true and so on. It matters what the Bible says. And so I want to teach us a little bit today about what I believe the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. The thing about the Holy Spirit is that he's not an it and he's not a thing. The Holy Spirit is very special. He's a very special person. The person is, he's not impersonal. He's very personal. He's not just a power or some electrical zap that we get sometimes and gives us spine tingles and goosebumps. That's not the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is, is as much of God as the Father and the Son is. In John 4, 24, it says, God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Um, Dave, could you put the words on the back screen for me? Is that okay, please? And, and it says in 2 Corinthians three seventeen. Now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is... Freedom. You see, the Holy Spirit is not just some kind of hocus-pocus thing that we pray to for weirdos. He's not a zapper. He's a person. You cannot have God without the Spirit. He is God. He is the Lord. And he's just like Jesus is God, so the Holy Spirit is God. And he is to be revered, and he is to be respected, and he is personal. And he has special tasks that he wants to do through us. And he wants to accomplish in and through you, and in your life, even right now. There's a great quote from Gregory of Nazias. He says, The deity of the Holy Spirit ought to be clearly recognised in Scripture. Looking at this, these facts, Christ is born, the Spirit is his forerunner. Christ is baptised, the Spirit bears witness. Christ is tempted, the Spirit leads him up. Christ ascends, the Spirit takes his place. What great things are there in the character of God which are not found in the Spirit? What titles which belong to God are not also applied to him? He is called the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the mind of Christ, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of adoption, of truth, of liberty. The spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel, of might, of knowledge, of godliness, of the fear of God. This only begins to show how unlimited the spirit is. So please don't tell me that you've worked out the Holy Spirit. He is unlimited. And if you've worked him all out, then I'll be very impressed. One thing I have worked out, though, is how great he is, how mighty he is, and that he is also personal and he is my friend, my best friend. The Bible says in John 14, 16, 17, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you to be with you forever. See that? To be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. So while we believe the Holy Spirit is the same nature and the majesty and the glory as the Father and the Son, we also know that he's actively poured out in our life and his very presence is within us and that he is actually here for every person on this planet. The Spirit of God is here for in a personal way. Even to those who have completely ignored him. We call it provenient grace and that the Spirit of God is trying to knock on the door of the hearts of every person on this planet because he loves us so much. So the grace of God through the Spirit is trying to get to the heart of every single person that he's bringing conviction for sin and he's stirring the hearts of all humanity towards salvation. 
And then when he's invited into your life and you become a Christian, he's then working in you and he's continuing to empower you in amazing ways. And he's changing your life as he does that. He's always present. You can never escape him, Christian or non-Christian. You cannot escape the presence of God. We know King David talked about that in Psalm 139. Also says in Job 33:4, the spirit of God has made me The breath of the Almighty gives me life. The Spirit of God is in us. The breath of God is the Spirit. He is God and he lives in me. He empowers me and leads my steps. He speaks to me. He counsels me. He gives me wisdom. He gives me healing. He gives me power. He gives me life. The Holy Spirit lives in you. From the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Saviour, you also receive his Holy Spirit, his precious spirit in your life. It's a key part of the gift of God. You don't just believe in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. As we pray, we receive him into our hearts. We receive him into our life. We can believe by faith, but we receive him into our hearts to change us as we repent of our old way of life and live in him, in our new way of life. That's why it says in Galatians 4, 6, because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. In Romans 8, 9 to 11 says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? The spirit lives in us. But it's true. It's what the Bible says. It's exactly what he says. 1 Corinthians 6.19, do you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? When you really give your life to Jesus, it's like you die to your old self, you died to the flesh, and now you live in his spirit. Paul said it in Galatians 2.20, that I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's why I told you that he's not just some impersonal, distant God out there in the universe floating around in space. That's not the spirit. He's intimate. He's personal. He's active in your life. And he lives in you. That's why you need to look after this body. It's a dwelling place of God. In fact, when you come to a place of absolute surrender to God, making him more than just your saviour and your free ticket to heaven, you actually truly make him the lord of your life or the master of your life where you surrender to him completely and give him the keys to the house, to every room of the house, even the dark closet that's in the house, get into that room as well. Every room, and you make him literally the master of your life. At that moment, in those moments, as you do that, his spirit comes in, and it comes in like a flood, and he starts filling you. That's why I was saying, be filled with the spirit. You've heard that term. 
When we come to Christ as our saviour, he's giving all of himself to us. But over time, and we're working out our salvation, we're giving ourselves to him and his spirit is filling us. His spirit is coming in and he starts to take residence in us. And we often call that when that moment of complete surrender comes, that moment of completely giving to God the rooms of the, the house, of every room of the house, we're baptised in the Spirit. It's not baptised in the water, we're baptised with fire, the Scripture calls it. The Spirit is fire and he comes in and, and he fills every part of our lives and burns away the old sinful life and he helps us live in holiness and helps us live in his, with his will and helps us change the way we think. The Spirit takes control. That's what it means to be the Lord of our life. We say, Spirit, be the Lord of my life. God, be my Lord and my Master. That means I give up control. He is now in control. The Holy Spirit baptizes us in that moment. And he has a purpose for us. He has a deep purpose for us. And uh, we can get into that too. He's sanctifying our heart. He's empowering us to obey his word more fully and giving us the power to follow his call in our lives because he has a call on your life. He has a purpose on for your life. He wants you to preach the gospel with power. He wants you to get out there and do kingdom work for him, every one of us. But he also wants us to live holy and blameless lives. And that's, we need the spirit to help us to do that. I can't do that on my own. I need my best friend, the spirit of God, to fill me, help me do that. This is the work of the spirit when I've given him complete control or lordship and made him the Lord of my life. Not just my saviour. But sometimes we hold on to the keys of certain rooms in the house, don't we? We want to have a little bit of control still. We want to hang on to it. And so we just need to come to that place of absolute surrender. And there'll be a, there will come a day in our life, if it hasn't already, it may even be today, where the Holy Spirit is causing a crisis of your will. And you say, God, not my will, but yours be done. And you hand over the keys to God once and for all. Holy Spirit will bring you to a place where you're so deeply moved that you would present yourself to him more fully and he will fill you more fully. Paul said it like this in Romans 12, 1 and 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, and this is your true and proper worship. While offering our life to God is a day-by-day commitment. It's a a moment-by-moment surrender to him, isn't it? It's like Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. It's it's an attitude of surrender to live by. To be baptised with the Holy Spirit is to live with that attitude of surrender. You've heard that term, the baptism of the Spirit. And it's sometimes taken down the wrong way and described and defined in the wrong ways. But... This moment of being baptised in the Spirit is so personal. It's so unique for each one of us because it's such a crisis of our heart and of our will when we finally hand everything to God, where God starts to perfect our hearts with love and perfect our lives and empowering you with the mighty Spirit of God to do something that's above and beyond you and what you could do on your own strength. It's many of the great revivals, they all began this way. When, Like John Wesley's revival, he began when he was anointed by the Spirit, when he finally came to that place of total surrender. And the Spirit came in like a flood. He says, my heart was strangely warmed in that moment. And it was after that anointing of the Spirit and being baptised by the presence and the power of the Spirit of God, it was after that this revival broke out. And that's what can happen. 
And we all know in the very first filling of the Spirit in and, and, um, Acts 1, or on the church that is, um, on one occasion it says there, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days he will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Like I said, we may all have different ideas about what baptism or the definition of the baptism of the Spirit, and I'm not going to debate that with you. But I want to talk from personal experience and what I believe the Bible teaches around this. And that's one thing that we need to know is what, to ha- what happens when we're baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you what it is. It's surrender. It's surrender. That's one thing I know that happens. And you'll find the true evidence of being baptised with the Holy Spirit, and it may be surprising to you, you've heard all different ways of this being described, but it has nothing to do with spiritual gifts. It has nothing to do with speaking in tongues. It, in, it's many, many times as we see the spiritual gifts and we want the spiritual gifts, I want more of the spiritual gifts, and I hope you do too. But I know what will happen to you at that moment of being filled or baptised with the Holy Spirit, it becomes so active in your life, he starts to change you from the inside out. And this is transformation that's happening in a very powerful way because it's no longer I that lives, it's Christ who lives in me. That's what happens when we're filled with the Spirit. We start to see the fruit of the Spirit. That's why in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, he says, walk, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. So if you are full of the Holy Spirit, the evidence of being full of the spirit is that you're not following the desires of the flesh. That's the evidence. There's a transformation now in the way I live, because I'm full of the spirit. That's why it says in Galatians 5, 22, 25, that the fruit of that Not the fruits, the fruit of that is all of these things. It's not plural. The fruit of the Spirit is a spirit of love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self. All of these things define a person who is living a truly Spirit-filled life. This is the evidence of being baptised with the Spirit. It's a changed life. It's a Christ-like life. Can I hear an amen? Okay, good. Those who belong against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. I love Paul because he talks about this so much. This is, this is his life. He lived this way. He talked this way. Everything we're talking about today was Paul. He just lived this way and gave such a beautiful example of a spirit-filled life. You see, your life in the spirit will continue through loving obedience to God's will in this way because he himself is your Lord and your master. When you do that, he challenges everything. He convicts us of everything. If I start getting anger in my heart, he convicts me. And I turn it around. I say, no, I'm not going to live that. It's not spirit-filled. He starts putting resentment in my heart. He convicts me. I say, no, that's not holy. That's not spirit-led. I say, thank you, spirit, showing me that. No, turn it around. It says, fruit of the spirit is love. I start having unloving thoughts. No, that's not spirit-led. Thank you, God. Help me turn that around. I want to be loving because Christ is loving. His spirit lives in me. 
I start having thoughts of sadness and no joy in my life. I turn it around and say, you know, God, you're a spirit of joy. You're with me in the sadness. You're with me in all those things. Help me be a person of joy. Peace. I start having thoughts that are not peaceful. I start turning it around and say, Lord, you're a God of peace. Thank you, Lord. You're a spirit of peace. Come in and retrain my mind and help me stop thinking that way. I just keep hand. It's contrary to the, to the old way. The way God is showing us to live in the spirit is the opposite of what the world lives and the old life lives. So I have to keep retraining my mind and renewing my mind in these things. In other words, the filling of the spirit enables me to have the power to follow Christ and the way he wants me to live, to be Christ-like in the way I live. Does that make sense? It doesn't mean I'm perfect because none of us will be able to do that in our own strength. It means that when the old life rears up its ugly head, I have a way through the power of the Spirit to not give in to it. I have, he's given me the power through the Spirit to change. That's the hope that we need. Um, in Matthew 4, 5, 48, it says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, we know that that's impossible. But church, through Jesus Christ and what he has done in giving us, firstly, our salvation on the cross, so the blood of Jesus has made it possible for us to be holy and blameless, thankfully, because we can't do that on our own. But then he's given us his Holy Spirit. He is holy, which means separate. He he is separate from us in that he is holy. And his perfection lives within us now. The Spirit of God who is perfect lives within us. And so he's giving us the power to live the holy life, to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. The Bible says in the book of Acts that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is something for you. This is something for you. God is... He will fill anyone who wants to be filled with his spirit. He wants to be more and more present in your life. You see, that's why it says in Acts 15, 8 and 9, God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. And what I'm saying here, church, is that this is the power of God, which is for all of us. Amen. And so in finishing up here today, I just want to share why I believe this is so important. We all need the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you say that with me? We all need the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us power not only to live obediently day by day by day by day and moment by moment, but sometimes to do amazing things for him. Sometimes he wants you to do something amazing for him. When the Holy Spirit moves, he often does it in ways that are unexpected and they're surprising and they'll stretch our mindset and make us wonder, whoa, is that God? But he'll he'll challenge our thinking and often does things in powerful ways and miraculous ways and in ecstatic ways. And sometimes it seems crazy. You go, is that even God? And sometimes you wouldn't even believe it unless we actually saw it to experience it. I've been in meetings and people I've seen under the true power of God, I've witnessed real healings. I've witnessed some of this, especially in India when I was praying. I remember seeing 
miraculous healings in front of my very eyes. I've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit overcoming me, overcoming my body at times. I've experienced that. I've moved in a prophetic way sometimes where the Spirit has given me some word of knowledge or some word of wisdom or some word of encouragement which I've spoken at that moment and it's touched someone so deeply. I've spoken that truth into their heart and it's changed their lives. That's the Spirit. That's not me. That's the Spirit using me. Sometimes God wants to do amazing things through us, through his Spirit in us. We have to be open for this. But I've also seen in some places where the opposite of this is true too. You know, there's so much flesh in control of you know, imitating the Spirit and what the Spirit's saying, whether maybe the leaders have hyped up the crowd and, and revved them up to emotional highs so that they could usher in the presence of God. Well, that's not what the Bible... It's emotionally manipulative, it's drummed up, it's hyped up, it's shouted up, whatever we can do to shout up the presence of God and, and it can be sensationalised. But the thing is, I never saw Jesus that way. When I read about the life of Jesus, I didn't see him preaching or teaching that way or drumming it up and hamming it up and zapping people. And I didn't see this. I didn't see the apostles do it either. So don't get me wrong. I believe in personally connecting with the Holy Spirit. I think I've shared, shared that. I think there is emotion involved because he is personal and it does touch our emotions to be in a personal relationship with God. And as someone who I love very much, I love God. I love my relationship with him. He is my best friend. And sometimes I do get excited to be with him and, and it draws me to have just a deep passion in my heart. And I do want to see our whole church experience the Spirit come and touch us and bless us and help us and grow us. And I want to see the Spirit move in our hearts in this way and see the whole church experience that closeness and that intimacy and the presence and the power of God in all of our lives. I really want that for you and I really want that for me. Amen? But I believe that in having an honest and authentic and personal and real relationship with the Holy Spirit is more important than sensationalizing it and hum hemming it up. And I'll finish with this. And what I think this really looks like, what this would really look like is us not hemming it up, but us emptying ourselves. Sacrificial. Emptying myself to, before God. Surrendering. And loving each other deeply. Being the church, the body of Christ that Jesus dreams about, the bride of Christ, he said, will be radiant without blemish. That the Spirit would help us to do those things. And I believe that this is the power of God at work in us. And it's, it's just like God too, that he's given us a real purpose around this. That when we're filled with the Spirit, he's given us purpose for being filled. It's to live a life where his presence is in us, but it's filled with the power for a special purpose, and we all need this. And it's in Acts 1 verse 8. It says, But you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God did not dare ask his people to go out to the world to do anything without empowering them first. He's given us a... He's given us his presence, but he's given us his purpose. He's given us his presence, but he's given us his purpose. 
And this is why they were asked to wait in Jerusalem because they couldn't do it on their own. They said, stay there until the promised one comes because you're going to need him. You know why it says that? Because the translation of that, you will be my witness, you can translate it as a martyr. Not only a witness in preaching the gospel, but you can die for me. And we know that that happened. The apostles, they all martyred, they martyred for getting out there and preaching. You can't do that on your own, true? We need the power of God, and that means we have to die to self to be able to live for Christ, to be able to die for Christ. I can't die for Christ on my own. I need the power of the Spirit to be able to have the power to get out there and preach the gospel and lay myself down with a willingness to die for my Lord. And we'll have the worship team come up now and we'll, we're going to just spend a couple of minutes now in just ministry of the Holy Spirit, just touching your hearts. And so what this is saying to us is apart from the Holy Spirit, church, filling us with his power, we cannot do anything. We have to decrease ourselves so that it makes more room for his spirit to fill us. We cannot go and preach the gospel. We cannot be his witness without being first filled with his presence. The truth is, church, without the Spirit, we will not make any lasting, significant difference really at all because we can't do it in our own strength. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians. My message and my preaching were not with wise, persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And we know Paul mentored Timothy. And what he said to Timothy when 2 Timothy 3, 5, in the last days the church will have a form of godliness, but without the power. That's a way of saying that the church is going to put their focus on externals, the way of saying the church is going to try and in their own strength make it happen, have a form of godliness but they'll do it without the power, the true power that comes through surrender and allowing him in fullness. Let's never be a church with a form of godliness, but without power. We need to wait on him. We need to pray and seek him, ask him to come into our hearts faithfully as we come to him with faithfulness. God wants us to seek him and find fullness the fullness of knowing him. Let's just spend a moment and wait on him. Can you close your eyes? And just invite the Holy Spirit. He's already here, as we know. His presence is everywhere. We just acknowledge his presence. It was in Luke 24. um, Jesus said, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And I want you to stay seated here until you are clothed with power from on high. What does that mean? That means surrendering your heart to Him. You might have believed. You might have believed in Him as a Saviour. You may have your ticket to heaven. But don't get out of this seat today until you're filled with His presence. I 
Oh God, we need you, Lord. We need you, God. We need your power. We need your presence. Lord, I open every door of my house, the main door, the doors to the bedrooms, the doors to the cupboards. I open every door. And in this house, this temple, I say, come in, Lord, like a flood. Fill me, Lord. You are faithful. When we ask you to come, you do. You love us that much. You, you want to come in. You want to fill us. Thank you, God, for filling us. Lord, however you want to move in us, move in us. You have freedom. Lord, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Lord, help us be free, free from bondage, free from the sins that bind us down, free from wrongful thinking, renewing our mind, refreshing our spirit, our hearts, Lord. Do everything that you want to do in this temple. Lord, I love you, Lord. I want to know you more. I want to have a relationship with you. I don't want to leave this place without your power. Speak to me now. Show me the way. Whatever I'm holding on to, I surrender it to you, Lord. It's an act of faith. It's a step of faith. Come in. Come in, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Let's sing this praise as we...